Welcome back to In Search of Tarot, a podcast that examines, questions, and reimagines our approach to life and the cards. Through guest interviews and in-depth discussions, we'll explore and expand the beautiful complexities of spirituality, philosophy, magic, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Angie. And we're your hosts for this fascinating ride. Thanks for being here with us. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a very special Q&A episode of the podcast. Um, It's not the end of the season yet, but it's kind of become a tradition on the show to do at least one Q&A episode per season. And the timing just worked out that this week would be that episode. Um, I'm kind of... uh, between interviews, just the way things worked out scheduling wise as we get closer to the holidays. Um, But I've still got several interview episodes, really amazing interviews coming up for you through Thanksgiving and then um, some special things in the works for December. So stay tuned for that. Um, But the first thing I want to talk about this week is I want to just give a shout out to all of the amazing new Patreon members that we have. Um, There's been a lot of turnover and a lot of new folks joining the show in the last, uh, I would say, six months or so. Um, It's become now possible, thanks to those people, for us to pay our guests, which has been amazing. And we just could not do that without them. Um, We also hang out with them Every month, Angie and I, we, we hold um, monthly tarot hangs for our Patreon members. And those conversations have really been expansive for me. They have taught me a lot. They have they always give me at least three epiphanies to walk away from and ponder. Um, I just really, really enjoy those. And I just wanted to say thank you to those uh, folks who have joined Patreon and who hang out with us every month. Um, so for those of you who may not know, I used to have a weekly Mystic Missive email offering that went out um, to my entire email list every week. But a few months ago, I realized that I should really be offering that work to Patreon um, because those are the people that support the show. And those writings are quite involved and long form and researched. And, you know, it does take a lot of work. So I moved that weekly offering to Patreon. And now I still send out one free Mystic Missive per month. Um, If you'd like to join that, I'll put the link in the show notes. But Patreon is where you can receive weekly missives, um, along with early releases of every podcast episode. For instance, our Patreon members listen to what you're listening to now this past Sunday. Um, And also Patreon members get early access and discounts to classes, workshops, and other offerings, which there's a little bit more to come on that in a couple of minutes that I'm excited to tell you about, um, as well as invitations to attend the monthly tarot hangs. So if any of this sounds interesting to you and you'd like to interact with me a little bit more and Angie, please consider heading over to patreon.com slash in search of tarot, where you can join and support this podcast for as little as $2 a month. And I mean, really, like, what else can you do for $2 a month? I mean, you're really getting a lot. Um, And if you're a regular listener of the show, I hope you'll consider um, supporting us there. The other exciting thing that I want to tell you about before we jump into today's Q&A is a new offering that I'm going to be facilitating this December that I'm calling Winter Solstice Tarot Study. 
And so those of you who've been around for a while might recognize the words tarot study from previous iterations of my tarot study groups, um, which have always tended to be really popular. I ran those uh, a couple of times in 2020 and then again in 2021, but it's been a little over a year now since I last offered one of these groups. Um, and my own personal practice has grown and expanded a lot since I last ran one of these, due in no small part to the conversations that I have on this show and with my Patreon members. So the time really feels right now to open this space back up um, for group study and contemplation. And I've really spent a lot of time thinking about how I can craft this experience um, and make it feel really personal and honor this new sense of understanding. Um, I, I don't know if any of you might have seen this on Instagram. I posted about this recently. I learned that the etymology of the word understanding actually means, uh, can mean a standing between. And that really kind of blew my mind and, and opened up a new way of thinking about what it means to understand something as a crossroads experience. So what I've realized is, you know, over the last year, I I love teaching, but I felt very conflicted about the way that I want to teach tarot because a lot of my work over the years has really been about emphasizing individual and individuality um, within practice and, you know, questioning whether it's even possible slash useful to name certain definitions for cards or keywords, you know, that everyone's experience is really going to be different. and. What really hit home for me as I, I knew I wanted to offer the class again, but I, but I was thinking, you know, how, how do I want to teach the tarot or what kind of container do I want to hold for tarot? And my husband pointed out that a lot of my work, a lot of these mystic missives I was speaking about earlier, a lot of the writing I do, the book I'm working on is very influenced by a broad range of texts, of existing texts. Um, I really, I love to read. I, I'm a pretty voracious reader in my spare time. And when I write, I tend to cross-reference and synthesize ideas from very disparate sources. And so I realized that that is the kind of container that I really personally want to create around tarot. I want to facilitate a container that is really um, relying on suggested reading um, outside of the weekly meetings and then gathering together to discuss those ideas and synthesize those ideas and expand on those ideas, almost in a Socratic seminar kind of fashion, which I remember when I was in ninth grade, I had this actually kind of kooky ninth grade English teacher who taught uh, in Socratic sem seminar method, which, you know, at the time felt mind blowing in tiny Southern, you know, classroom that I was in. But I loved it. I, I loved that, that um, way of teaching. And I realized that that's kind of the, the kind of container that I want to create. Um, so each Thursday in December, beginning on December 1st, running all the way through December 29th, we're going to be gathering from 6 to 7.30 p.m. Central, and we're going to be exploring a different theme each week, each week that is anchored by supplemental reading and communal conversation. And then I also am currently in my third year of participating in a year-long um, container of sorts. Right now I'm in an astrology container with the incredible Jonathan Coe and Britton LaRue. And something that I have loved from all those experiences has been um, having Slack um, or some kind of 
outside communication throughout the week so that we can stay engaged. So this container is going to rely on a private Slack group that will allow these discussions to keep going whenever, you know, throughout the week, even when we're not gathering. And all the meetings will be recorded, you know, if you're not able to attend live, although as always, live attendance is definitely encouraged because you're going to, of course, get more out of having, um, you know, immediate live conversations. But um, let me tell you about what's going to happen each week a little bit. So December 1st is going to be focusing on irising in, which is really identifying and cultivating your specific tarot lens. And this is something that I have been in discussion with Jonathan in this astrology container um, about the importance of developing your lens, of naming your lens, of knowing the context in which you read tarot, you know, what is what are the eyes that you're looking through? What is the lived experience that you are coming from? And really identifying that and cultivating that. And maybe you have a sense of what that is already, or maybe you're like, I don't know what my lens is. That's going to honestly be a huge part of what these five weeks are really meant to examine. You know, it could be that you come in really knowing that lens and wanting to dig into it deeper, or it could be that you're hoping that by the end of this five weeks, you'll have figured it out. Maybe there's even just a lens that you'd like to play with for five weeks, but that's really going to be a big part of what we're doing in this group. Um, December 8th, the week of that, of December 8th, is going to be about personal mythology. So this is contextualizing yourself through time and place. This is really trying to encourage you to tell your own stories. This is very heavily influenced by my conversation with Sophie Strand. What does it mean to tell your story from where you are, from the land that you're on, from the life that you live, to tell a personal mythology, an oral traditional story of your own that is not relying on... Um, trying to sort of write yourself into existing mythologies that are that have been uprooted from other times and places. Uh, the week of December 15th is going to be archetypal image. This will be a conversation that you'll hear a little bit next week um, with my guest about the difference between archetype and archetypal image. But we're going to be talking about interpreting the cards through personal visualization. You know, do these visuals even work for you? How do you find the right deck um, to find that visual? Or what would it be like to even make your own deck? This actually would be a great week to explore um, creating your own deck. I mean, I really think that if everyone could make their own tarot deck, that really would be the most ideal way to work with the cards because archetype really needs to be um, married to a very, again, individual and specific um, image that's coming through your lens, through your lived experience. Uh, the week of December 22nd will be about divination and what I'm calling time travel. So we'll be kind of investigating methods to subvert time um, to talk to divine what does it mean to divine um, why are we sometimes taught to be afraid of that why do we think that's wrong to use tarot for quote-unquote divination um, what does it mean to divine as in um, we are divining gender rather than we are working with divine gender um, we're going to be kind of playing with that and then the last week, December 29th, is going to be an integration of everything we've been talking about. We're going to be experimenting with working with these new ways. So that's a big part, you know, from my own lived experience, whenever I've really investigated the way that I work with the cards, the 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 sort of leap happens when I have to start reading for other people or kind of put those methods into place because you know, it doesn't even have to be for clients, even reading for yourself, you know, when it push comes to shove, there are habits that you're in or you know ways of working with the cards that you're kind of used to and there's a it takes a moment of pause to be like no this time i really want to do it differently i want to put into action these new ways of working these new ideas that i have i want to try to 
to do something different, you know, and that that can be challenging. So that last week is going to be trying to give us time to just play, you know, make mistakes, things may not work. Honestly, I've definitely over the years, I've experimented with with different ways of reading that have just not worked that I've ended up abandoning. So that's okay, too. But that last week is going to be kind of uh, giving a chance to try all of that. So if any of this, all of this, any of this sounds interesting to you, I would love you to join me. I'm really excited. It's been a long time since I worked with um, with people in this way. I'm super excited to do it. Um, there's a link to join us in the show notes. Um, as with everything I offer, members of the LGBTQIA plus community are welcome to use code TRANSCEND for 10% off this offer. And our Patreon members get 15% off and that code will be available to you if and when you join the Patreon community. So hope you'll join us. Super excited about that. I think it'll be a really special uh, way to end the year, you know, in this kind of dark time of the year, turning inward and um, kind of expanding your tarot practice. So amazing. So let's get into the questions. Um, You know, I have to be honest, sometimes when I've done these Q&As, the questions have been, you know, not, we haven't had a ton or they've been kind of light, but you all came through this time. Um, we got some really meaty, meaty questions. So I'm excited to dive into these. So the first question is, how would you advise people who are feeling called to offer their tarot services? Is there a marker or a point when you personally knew you were ready to take your relationship with tarot to the public or the community that you want to serve? So this is a question that I've gotten before. Um, and my best answer to this question is that I think that when you get to the point where you are starting to wonder if the time is right for this, that that probably means that the time is right for this. And that might sound kind of controversial for people that want to make sure that people aren't exploiting other people. But the other thing that I'll say about that concern is I think that we have to trust that clients are going to be discerning. So if a client comes to a reader, no matter how much time that reader has been working with the cards, whether we personally are sort of quote unquote approving of that amount of time or feel like that's enough time, if the client is getting something out of it, then I don't really know that it's my place to decide what's appropriate or not, you know? there are clients for every reader and readers for every client. And not everybody's looking for the same thing. You know, not everybody, I will definitely say from my own experience as a reader, not every client wants to dive deep. Um, People come to tarot to have fun. People come to tarot out of curiosity. And I think there can be a reader for every, for everyone. And if someone wants to come to a reader and pay whatever that reader is charging, then, you know, okay. I mean, I, I don't know that we can really police that. And I, I think um, I think that someone that is maybe not doing great work is not going to be able to keep up, you know, a client base um, for very long. But I also want to say that if you were, if you are someone that is, you know, let's, let's give the reader the benefit of the doubt that they have done their work and they are, you know, they're, they feel ready, maybe nervous, but ready you can always pull back. I mean, and you are going to learn. I, I definitely think that the last stage of working with the cards, and I'm sure with astrology or any other modality, is 
the leap into working with other people and the amazing amount of material that you learn only that way. And it's funny because it reminds me of a piece of advice I got from my mentor when I was struggling with dating a few years back. Um, and he said, there are just some things about yourself that you can only learn in relation to other people. You know, there's some things you can only learn by yourself. And then there are some things that you can only learn when you're in a relationship. And it's kind of like that with tarot. There are certain things about the cards that you just can't learn until you start to read for other people, because that's when you realize, oh, this isn't, you know, the way that these cards are speaking to me, it's different for every person. I have to expand the possibilities. I have to play with the way that I set up my readings. You know, you, you have to go through those things and it's, it's awkward. It's uncomfortable. You know, I wish I, I actually don't remember my first professional reading. I wish I could, but I definitely remember when I started to read for friends for fun or for practice, you know, in, in my house and being nervous and figuring it out. You know, how do I, how do I do this? How do I structure my reading? How do I talk about these cards? How do I open space for them? How do I trust myself? Um, a big learning curve is how do I know that it's okay to, to, for them to say no. And that was, where did I get that piece of advice? I don't know if it was Angie who said this. Some, someone said to me on the show, one of you may remember, um, pointed out, it may have been Jonathan Coe, who said um, that it's as valuable to find out what is not working in the reading as what is working, you know, what is not resonating as what is resonating. Because when the client says, no, that's, you know, this interpretation is not taking me anywhere, that is useful information. Yeah, so that's kind of my best advice um, on that question. I don't think there's a certain, I can't say that there's like a certain moment. I would just say if you are feeling pulled to do that, and to begin trying that, then you probably are as ready as you'll ever be. <laughs> um, my next question is, which tarot cards might help us develop a friendlier attitude toward death? So I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast or not, but in July, I had the, the death card come to me in a dream. And that's never happened to me before. I've definitely written about this in, in my missives. Um, I've never dreamed about a tarot card before and it really freaked me out to be honest because i mean you know who are we kidding like it's the death card i know that i know that it has a lot of possible meanings but one of those meanings is death um is certainly you know you can't deny that that could be a meaning of the death card and it was weird it was it kind of you know threw me um and then i went through a series of evolving ways of thinking about that. One of the coolest, which I'll share with all of you, um, was an exercise that I thought of to do for myself at the time I was waiting to hear back about a job. And I was like, what if I allowed myself to just imagine that I did not get this job, um, which felt like a death of sorts? You know, what if I allowed this dream to die? And then what if I went forward into that story or that fantasy and imagined how I would feel with this death? How would, what would the grief be with this death? What specific things would I be sad about? And what specific things might I feel relieved about by this death? How would I grieve? How would I recover? You know, what would, what would life be like? And that was a very, very useful exercise that felt really freeing that I think could be a good death practice. Um, 
I also am in a really deep investigation and devotional practice right now with the planet Pluto, um, which one of the ways that Pluto gets talked about is that connection with Hades or sort of the like keeper of the underworld and the guardian of death um, and the bringer of like destructive transformation or just transformation in general, which is a word that um, oftentimes gets talked about with the death card. And my latest feeling about that has been the way that a lot of times in pop culture, um, and I think also because I was raised in Christianity, there's a sense that the that hell or the underworld is quite chaotic, um, is, you know, full of fire and brimstone and really active, you know, that there's a lot happening, even in mythology um, with the, you know, the boat crossing into the river, river sticks, um, you know, the souls kind of think of, I think of the Disney movie Hercules or, or Sandman, if anyone's watched Sandman, you know, it's quite active. And one day I was looking out, it was actually right before a Patreon tarot hang. Um, I was looking out my window, which looks out over some trees in the backyard and all of the leaves had fallen off the tree and they were bare. And this was right before Halloween. My husband and I had gone for a walk in the graveyard, which was obviously a very quiet, you know, still place. Um, and I realized that the underworld is actually possibly a very still, barren, quiet place. Um, you know, and sometimes Pluto and, and death feel chaotic, but actually maybe it's quite still. And in that way, I realized that my meditation practice could actually be a devotional offering to death and a death practice. Um, I mean, what is a more, what is being present more than death? You know, if you think of like Shavasana, for instance, and yoga, um, you're just very still, you know, you're practicing just being very, very still. So, as I say that, it makes me think of Four of Swords, um, thinking of other tarot cards that we might lean into. In the Pinnacle suit, it probably makes me think of Eight of Pinnacles, or actually maybe Seven of Pinnacles. That Seven Eight moment is always very interesting to me because they can feel kind of close. But I'm going to say Seven because of the numerology of Seven, which can be associated with. Um, initiation. And there's that waiting, you know, in the seven of pentacles, there's, there's a patience, I think seven of pentacles more than any of the cards maybe really teaches us that lesson of, um, of reaping what we sow, and that um, it takes time for things to grow, and we have to kind of be patient. There's something also very seasonal, about the cycles of, of life and the cycle of the seasons in Seven of Pentacles. Um, in the cup suit, I think it probably makes me think of Five of Cups of grief, um, you know, and loss. And what I think is interesting in the Five of Cups is to examine the way both directions make you feel um, and the way that we have that that even in the midst of grief and the midst of death, there can be laughter, which can feel very subversive um, and maybe even inappropriate, but it is there, um, and it kind of has to be there. It reminds me of in theater, you know, whenever there's a play with a really serious scene, there's always kind of a laugh towards the end of the scene to kind of lift the mood and allow the audience to lift up, but to get out of that catharsis, you know. Um, 
So I've done swords, I've done pentacles, I've done cups, and then in wands, it's interesting to think of stillness in wands, but in the wand suit, I would say it makes me think of the beginning. It makes me think of the two, probably, because I really see the two of wands as a threshold moment, you know, either two or three. And I've been thinking a lot about the way that the space between right before we're born and right when we die, that that space is kind of the same in its infinite possibility, um, in its complete unwrittenness. And I find that really fascinating, that threshold moment, the connection of that. So I think I would probably tie it somewhere in the beginning of, of the wand suit. But I'd be curious to hear if anyone has thoughts on that, um, of other cards that might be um, useful. And then, of course, I also will mention that Emperor, of course, you know, death being 13, 1 plus 3 is 4. I love that connection of Emperor and death because I really think that teaches about humbleness, humility, and... Um, it levels the playing field. It, it makes me think of the dance macabre um, in the during the years of the Black Plague um, and how the Black Plague kind of showed that everyone was touched by death. You know, the king, the pope, everyone died. Everyone dies. And there's something that um, levels the playing field and, and allows people that maybe are more marginalized to feel like yeah, that's right. You're, you're the same as me, you know? And I think it can really, um, it also can really help emperor when emperor gets too boundaried and too restrictive and too rule following to Virgo, honestly. Um, it can kind of be like, you know, you can plan as much as you want, but we're all going to die and you don't know how you're going to die or when you're going to die. Um, it reminds me of those shock. I feel like there's been a lot of shocking deaths recently, um, with celebrities and it's that, it's that, you know, just the, the unexpectedness of death is something that I think is useful for emperor to remember, um, and might push the emperor to even get out of its comfort zone. Um, you know, leaning into when we know that we're going to die, it allows us to be more vibrantly alive in the present. So I hope that's helpful. Okay, the next question is, as you delve deeper into astrology, how do you feel it seeping into and informing your tarot practice? Since I came to both at the same time via relation with the moon, the two modalities are completely intertwined, but definitely with my newbie fab flavor. <laughs> I love that. So curious to hear about your um, about how you're doing it even since we met. So, well, you know, first of all, I love your newbie fab flavor. Um, you probably just heard in my response to the last, last question. I mean, I think at this point, which I'm still so new to astrology, you know, really studying astrology. So I want to stress that, but it's given me more words. I mean, it's interesting because people always talk about astrology as a language and it's true. It's, it's given me more adjectives and verbs and, and language, um, you know, just now saying that emperor feels a Venusian in, or feels Virgoian to me. Um, you know, it, it's an, it's other words that I can use. Um, and that's honestly, that's about as far as I've gotten. I, I want to say that I personally um, choose not to use the Golden Dawn attributions at all. Um, I, I just don't, I don't like how they were made. Um, 
I don't, yeah, I just don't agree with um, that group in a lot of ways. And I don't like to use those attributions. I'm not saying that they, that it's not right to do so. I think it's totally fine if you want to. I just personally don't. Um, and, and it's actually because of what I just said, like, for instance, I do think that Ember would make a lot of sense for Virgo and I, and I, but I think it could make a lot of sense for other things too. You know, I, I don't like to sort of limit, um, those connections. So I personally don't do that, but, um, but I will be interested as I continue to study, I'll be interested to see how maybe the houses will come in and the, um, the aspects and the, planets and you know all of the astrology is a rich rich um tradition so i'm excited to see how it all continues to um enhance and i would definitely say that eventually i imagine that i'll move into a practice where i learn more about the client's astrology maybe even looking at their chart as well as working with the cards um i think it'll just kind of give me more give me a fuller picture. I think it's a way to, I think it could potentially become a way that I can learn more about the client beforehand, which I think will allow my readings to go deeper faster. Because, you know, if I, like reading the tarot is, is really very um, therapeutic, even though I'm not a therapist and it's not therapy, it can feel that way. And the reason I draw that parallel is, you know, if you, you don't go to one therapy session and then you're like, oh, you know, you're done. I mean, you go, you go to therapy for life, maybe. I mean, you go to therapy for a long time and, and every session builds on the last. And it's the same with tarot. And I always wish that um, I have some clients that do return, you know, again and again, uh, in regular increments to get readings and they kind of build on each other. And we're able to say, last time we talked about this and now we're kind of gone here. But a lot of people I think come to tarot expecting an answer or like a quick fix. I think people are even just trying it for the first time and kind of experimenting with it. And when it doesn't feel like it fixes them, quote unquote, or gives them what they're looking for, they just are like, no, that didn't work or no, it's made up. I don't believe it. I'm, you know, I'm gone. And it's just, for me, that's just not, you know, that's not how it really works. Um, and the other thing about that is, you know, the cards don't do anything. Um, it, you get a reading and the cards reflect to you or mirror you or, you know, whatever messages come through for you. But then I always tell people, now you have to take this and you have to do something with it. You know, you the cards can't, can't act for you. Um, and I think that that's a piece that people leave out when they feel like they don't get what they wanted to get out of a tarot reading you know it's like this is advice that you have to then act on and that that piece is really up to you um so yeah i kind of got off track there but um I, I am excited to see how astrology continues to impact my practice all right this last question is it's a two-parter and the first part is quite lengthy and long but i want to read the whole thing because i think it brings up some great some great points so it says, I have a friend, early 30s, never had a romantic relationship, who always asks to get the same reading about when she will meet her Prince Charming, what is he up to now, what is he thinking, what is his obstacle in not seeing her, etc. Or she'll want me to do a reading about any man in her life that could be a romantic interest. When I pull cards, she reads them for herself and ignores my interpretation or says I'm wrong, and also wants me to pull three clarifying cards per tarot card. I love my friend dearly, but there is so much that makes me feel uncomfortable here. 
TLDR, this is a question about boundary setting. I don't feel comfortable reading about every Tom, Dick, and Harry passing through her life and pulling cards about their personal life. I've suggested many times to do a reading about what she can do to attract someone or something centered around her, but she always says she knows she just has to wait for him to be ready. Should I stop trying to steer her to a different style of reading? How do you know when to give the client exactly what they ask for and when to try to adjust or change their question? I'm going to stop there because there's a second part, but I'm going to um, answer this first bit first. First of all, I just want to say that this does sound extremely frustrating. Um, and I guess, to be honest, my first thought in hearing and reading this is I'm wondering what she is looking for when she does ask you to do a reading. And that might even be a question that you could ask her or maybe you already have, but you know, she's coming to you and yet she seems to be not interested in what you have to say. So what is she looking for? Is she just looking for you to flip cards over? Um, which is fine. It would just be helpful for you to kind of know that. So that's the first thing I would say. But then I would also kind of offer it back to you and ask, you know, early in my practice, I found it very hard not to feel bad about myself if I didn't feel like I steered the reading to sort of a climactic conclusion or like a key takeaway. Um, like basically I got in my own way of what really was wanting to come through because I was very interested in making sure that there was like a message or a, a takeaway, you know, or, and now when I read, I mean, I, I'll just offer this to you and, and maybe you can, this is kind of a way to answer your question as well, that now when I read for clients, I, we take three deep breaths together to kind of sync up. And then I open space for, I like to open space for the spirit of the present moment is what I call it. And then I open space for, you know, oftentimes I'll open space for Lake Michigan for maybe some plant allies or some animals that have, that I've crossed, come across that day recently. It's been a lot of rabbits and uh, crows. And then I'll let the client invite either silently or aloud any guides, ancestors, spirits, beings that they want to be present. And so what I'm trying to do in doing this practice is I'm trying to open, trying to build kind of a circle if you're, you know, a witchcraft practitioner or just create a container that feels held and expansive and that we're not alone, you know, that, that we, we kind of are taking ourselves off the chopping block of having the answers. Um, and, and then I try to just ride the wave. I try to just um, be surprised by the cards that show up. I try to listen. I really try to listen to what the other person is saying and not get in my head. And that's why for me personally, I'm in a place right now where I don't like to pull all the cards ahead of time. I don't work with spreads. Um, I, sh what I do is I shuffle continuously as the person's talking and car certain cards will just kind of naturally fly out of the deck. Um, and I'll be as surprised as they are. And it always surprises me how dead on the card will be. A lot of times it'll be literally the word that just came out of their mouth will, will somehow sync up perfectly with the card that flies out. And that just allows it to be a little bit more organic and a little bit more in the, in the conversation, you know, where, I, so I'm not looking at a spread and kind of already projecting and already thinking, okay, well, when we get to card five, we're going to talk about this or, you know, whatever. It's, it really is a, a dialogue and a conversation. So I would kind of suggest to you in that way, 
I would I would suggest to you to investigate what you, how you are trying to lead the reading. And I'm not saying because it definitely sounds like your friend is, you know, has some has some control issues about this reading, but I also would in that case, you know, in what way are you trying to keep the control? I mean, if she if she really needs to be in that driver's seat, maybe you can take a back seat, you know, and trust that she is getting something out of it. I think trusting that people are getting something out of the reading is a real um, lesson in reading tarot, you know, that, that you have to really get to a place where you can just trust that what wanted to come through came through, you know, you showed up, you held space and you did, you did what you can, only you can do, you know, I used to spend a lot of time after a reading, like just really worrying and wondering if I, if the person understood what I was trying to say, if I was clear, if I was helpful. And then I was like, you know, I have to just release. I have to just do what I can do and just trust that they, they got something, you know, because also you can't know. I mean, you can't know what they are getting out of it, but yeah, I would say I would, I would definitely offer to you to have a conversation with this person about what, what are you looking for? Is this helping you? And, and, you know, I feel like I'm not, I feel like I'm not doing a good job or I'm getting in the way. Is that true? How do you feel about that? You continue in the question with saying, I'm also on a journey to thoroughly degender the tarot. So what I, what I see in the cards can be really different from what she sees. When a reader pulls cards, do you think those cards are coming out based on the reader and how they would interpret the message or what the querent would see, especially if they're also a tarot reader. So what I have recently liked to do is oftentimes not even talk about what I what I see in the card or what I think is important in the card until I first show the querent um, on the screen or in person. And I ask them just, what is drawing your eye? What do you see in this card? You know, what is the emotion that you feel like is being evoked in this card? And really let them open up into it. And then I'll build on that, you know? And a lot of times what they'll say will already have a piece about how I already feel about it. Or sometimes it'll be really unrelated to how I usually view it. And I'll be like, okay, amazing. Sometimes too, it can be both. A lot of times, you know, they, they might see something and then I might say, what I often see in this card is this, because it's tricky, obviously, because someone's coming to a tarot reading and, and we're trying to help them go spiral kind of into a deeper place. And they may or may not naturally gravitate towards that place. So what they see may or may not um, kind of go there. You know what I mean? And we may need to help them a little bit with that. But I think allowing it to be a dialogue um, and allowing it to be a mixture of what they see and what you see. You know, another thing I would say about this gender question is it's also completely possible to ask the person before the reading, you know, and to even say, I, I read in a non-gendered way. And so, and this comes, your, your next part of the question actually speaks to this, but I'm going to talk about it now. You know, if I pull the Empress, I can talk about the Empress in any way I want without using she, her pronouns and someone who uses she, her pronouns can apply it. I can talk about the Emperor without using he, him pronouns and a person who uses he, him pronouns can apply it. But I can also talk about those things in that way. And then a person that uses she, her can apply emperor. And a person that uses he, him can apply empress in, I think, more expansive ways than if we if we call them those pronouns. So this friend of yours still, no matter how you're degendering the tarot, 
it all is going to apply to her no matter how she is gendering herself. You know, that I think is why it's important to try to speak about the cards in a gender inclusive way is to me, it allows more possibility for the way those cards get applied, not less. Um, and so then the last part of your question says, what are your tips or advice on how to degender the tarot? On divorcing cards from their gendered meanings and historically gendered binary imagery. On creating a new word, word cloud or system of meaning for the cards. I love that you said word cloud, by the way. Admittedly, I might be going a tad far on this and not even wanting to associate queens with being nurturing and more passive while kings are active and leaders. To me, that is still something that feels associated with gender meanings because of a gender title or card image. But I'm hoping that even if the pendulum is swung too far one way, I'll find a way back to equilibrium. Okay, first of all, I do not think that is swinging too far by any means. I think that is that is a great direction you're on, personally. And I also want to just touch on something that came through when I was speaking with Jasper Joy on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about the court cards, and I had never thought about this, but if you think about the fact that a, there is a page as an actual job, I mean, like in medieval society, page is a job, knight is a job. Those are different jobs, no matter what gender the page or the knight is, they're doing different things. But then when you come down to king and queen, the only difference between a king and a queen is based in the gender. So like, Yes, kings had more power maybe than their than the queen if they were married to the queen, but that was just because of the gender. Like the actual role is basically monarch. You know, you could kind of you could lump king and queen into one card and just call it monarch. And I just think that's really really interesting and makes it even more difficult to pry apart what those cards mean. How are they different? You know, and I'm not going to really I'm not going to speak about that for me personally, because I, I would like to invite you and anyone listening to really investigate that. I mean, what is the difference? And I actually wonder, maybe we need some new decks that have just Monarch. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not, if I were a visual artist, I would definitely would have made a deck by now. I, I wish I was a better visual artist. But if anyone out there listening is a visual artist who wants to collaborate on a deck, tell me because I, I think that would be amazing it i would love to write it i would love to collaborate on it but i'm not an artist um but i should probably be careful what floodgates i open but do tell me if you if you would like to because I, I would be interested um but yeah i just think that's fascinating about kings and queens so the other thing i want to say about this is i just want to remind you that the system because you because you say um you're wanting advice on creating a new word cloud i think that's an amazing way to talk about it or a system of meaning for the cards i just want to remind you that it's all made up the system that exists if you're talking about writer wade smith made up not even that long ago made up the golden dawn made up it's all someone just decided i'm going to write this down i'm going to codify these meanings and create these keywords in a system. So what I think is very important in learning the tarot, and this is why I'm always talking about, I wish teachers would explain that it is a system. And in doing so, explain that the system is made up. If you want to use this system, you can, or if you want to investigate the system and change it and alter it and create your own system, even completely from scratch, you can do it. But I also want to honor the fact that in doing that, it will become harder for you to be in dialogue with people that use a certain system, or it may, because there's a shorthand, right? When you've been working with the cards, when you're in a group of like six people and five out of the six all work with Rider-Waite-Smith system, and they can just kind of 
you know, talk about Three of Swords in that way, whatever, you know, there's the shorthand and you maybe have this totally different idea about Three of Swords, it may be harder for you to feel included. Now, if you're talking with people that are the kind of people I would want to be talking with, they might be really interested to hear and you might have a great dialogue. But I also want to really hold space for the fact that it can be really frustrating to work with a system that is not, that's more marginal, you know, that is not the the norm and the centered narrative. I just want to honor that. So, but it's up to you. I encourage it. I, whatever system you're using, even if it is the Rider-Waite-Smith system, I definitely encourage you to have a deep relationship with it and to really make sure that, that you believe in those meanings, um, which I think is just a piece that doesn't get talked about in learning tarot. Do you actually resonate with the way that these cards are taught and talked about or has it just been okay i learned that that's what this card means you know that is the journey of learning the tarot is really deepening your relationship with each of these cards and how they interact with each other how it changes their meanings as they layer um that is that is the richness and the amazingness of a tarot practice you know so i hope that that was helpful Thank you all for listening. Thanks all of you who wrote in these amazing questions. This was this was great. These questions were fantastic. If you have more to say about any of this, please DM me, um, email me at isotpod at gmail.com, isotpod at gmail.com. And next week, I'll be back with another interview episode. Like I said, we've got some amazing interviews still to come. It's by no means the end. Um, but I hope you'll maybe join me this December Um, and I hope you have a wonderful week and just thank you so, so much for being here. In Search of Tarot is independently written, recorded, edited, and transcribed by Nick Kepley and Angie Miller. You can follow Angie on Instagram at birdgirl underscore, that's B-I-R-D-G-E-R-H-L underscore. And you can follow me, Nick, on Instagram at In Search of Tarot. Have a question or a comment? Email us at isotpod at gmail.com. We also invite you to leave us a rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts.